The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewired.com. Revelation, <clears throat> and we are going to get through two chapters today, and you're like, oh, yeah, right, but we will. Um, these next two chapters, chapters 8 and 9, we're going to see most of the trumpet judgments in them, and, and it's hard to go through these and, and look at each element uh, and, and say with certainty what God is really saying to us. A lot of this is in the future still, I mean, we're thinking of Revelation and this, it's a prophetic word given to the church of what will happen in these last days but before Jesus returns. And, and he, John is seeing this and John's trying to explain with the words that he has some of these visions and they're just awesome visions. And it's like, what does this mean? And, and we can't know with certainty, so I can't stand up here and say this is this and this is this and this is this. When it all comes to pass, we'll all just go, oh, yeah, yeah, that fits. (laughs) But these two chapters, they're hard. And the reason I wanted to put them together is is for that reason, because they're just really hard. We saw through the seals and then getting into the trumpets, we see this judgment that God's bringing on the earth, but we also see God's grace and mercy. So just to remind us why this judgment, what is God doing? doing? Well, one, he's waking up unbelievers. So we talked about, you could have different views of where the rapture is. We, we said it could be at the end of the church age, and he raptures his bride, the church out, and then that begins the seven-year tribulation. As we get a little further, there's another place where something, it happens more in the middle, or maybe pre-wrath, before God gets to the, to the other parts of, of judgment. So there's that thought of maybe it happens in the middle. And then there's others that say, no, we're going to go all the way through and Jesus is going to return and we're going to get caught up with him. We're going to come down. And so it's not really a rapture, but it's, a, it's another season of where God is just calling his people to himself here. And so like, what is going on? Well, one, he's waking up the unbeliever. How many of you guys are really hard-headed? <laughs> I think we, yeah, we, we could all be that way, right? We, do, we don't like to admit it, but sometimes... We need the fire, we need the stress, we need the tension, we need to get our attention uh, grabbed. It's not always, you know, the easy way for us. For many of us who've come to crisis because God did something, got our attention, and we said, oh, well, in these last days, he's going to be getting the world's attention. It's coming to a rapid end, to a close, and he's getting their attention. He's waking up the unbeliever. The second thing we're going to see uh, as we go through Revelation is that he's gathering Israel. So we believe that, that at this time of, of history that the church is raptured up. So I, was, I lean more towards at the end of the church age that the church is raptured. The church is raptured up, and then so we start this time of 
of, of bringing in Israel. Their, their hearts are softened. The gospel's going out. The 144,000 that we talked about are, are sealed by God. They're proclaiming the gospel. Many Jews are coming to faith, but also many in the world are coming to faith. But the big part here is the fulfillment of what's happening, what Paul talks about in Romans, where there's the fulfillment of Israel coming in. So really the tribulation is about the Jews. It's about them. It's about this moment of their ingathering. And so God is working on that. And then he's preparing the world for the kingdom to come. When we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying, Lord Jesus, come and prepare this place. Bring the kingdom down. We're saying we're ready for this to be changed in many ways. And so this is what God's doing. So I'm not going to read all of it. I'll read sections and we'll just go through together. But pray with me really fast and then uh, we'll, we'll start our looking at 8 and 9. Father, we thank you for this word this morning. And uh, we ask that you would just teach us, Holy Spirit, as we go through it. Um, these hard things, these things that are just so awesome. We ask, God, that you would just give us, uh, give us the heart of Jesus for this moment, for this time. Help us to understand what you're calling us to as the church, as you've given us this word that will be fulfilled. And so we just, uh, we pray blessing over the, the teaching of the word that we would receive it and that you would be blessed in your people as we walk out um, a life that just exalts Christ because of what we've heard today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we uh, start in chapter 8, verse 1. It says this, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So in the previous chapter, we saw the, the seals being opened. In Revelation uh, 5, we see the first seals opened. Uh, so as we go back, sorry, chapter 7 was the 144,000. But as we go back to Revelation 5, the, the seals are opened. We see the four horsemen are the first four seals. The fifth seal is that of the martyrs crying out. Uh, the sixth seal was, was just how God brought judgment on the earth and through nature. And then we have kind of this interlude of heaven, and we see what's going on there. But now we get to the seventh seal, and it says that when the Lamb opens that seal, heaven is quiet for half an hour. Just in awe. They know what's about to come. There's this pause. Day and night around the throne of God is worship from the elders and the four living creatures and the angels. That has never ceased. Since their creation, they have worshiped. There's always been worship in heaven. There's always been someone singing praise to God and worshiping. There's always been that happening. And in this moment, the Lamb opens the seal and everything is silent. There is great anticipation about what's to come. There hasn't been silence before. I mean, thinking about that. All of heaven 
all of heaven is just waiting. That's sobering. Like, I, can, I have a hard time sitting still for just a few minutes, you know? And sometimes when you're in a conversation or if you're listening to a pastor or something and we kind of lose our spot or something, and you're like, okay. And, and for me, like, if I lose my spot and I'm up here and it, and it goes on for a couple, it, it feels like eternity. It's like, oh, gosh, i got to get to my spot. and oh, Everybody's waiting. And, you know, like in my mind, it's like, i got to. And sometimes we just start filling. How many times do we do that? Like we just talk for the sake of filling the space. Like we don't like sitting in silence. But here all of heaven sits in the majesty of God, in the majesty of the Lamb. He opens the scroll. He opens the seal. And they are just sitting there in silence waiting. It's an act of worship. They're waiting on the Lord. They know the judgment to be poured out is the wrath of God on sin and rebellion. This is the beginning of the trumpets. The last seal is the beginning of the seven trumpets. And it brings great judgment. And I think heaven knows it. And they're they're sitting there thinking, God is about to bring judgment on the earth that has never been before, never will be again. And it's sobering. And the judgment that comes, I want us to understand this, the judgment that comes out of Revelation, it's a, it just gives us a, a window to the severity of sin how awful sin really is. The, the, the greatness of the rebellion. Just what is it that God must do to judge sin? Then we see these judgments. Like this is the wrath being poured out. This is what it looks like being played out on the world. It seems over the top but it's perfect, and it's right. Look at Psalm 85.10 for a second. It says this, Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Now this, many have said, it points forward to the cross. It points forward to, to what Jesus has done. And in Romans 3.21-26, we read this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Though the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a payment by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Go back to Psalm 85.10, Eric. The righteousness of God is manifest in Jesus and he brings peace and they kiss each other at the cross. He brings us peace. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, we read this. Therefore, we are ambassadors because he brings us peace. We are ambassadors for Christ 
God, making an appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you to receive the grace of God, to to not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Church, why, why am I bringing up these passages? Because of this. Christ became sin and endured the wrath of God. And he drank the cup of the wrath of God. And he drank it all. It is finished. It is done. Nothing left out. The wrath that you see here in Revelation, God pouring out on the earth, that same type of wrath, that, that, that wrath that must be poured out against sin, Jesus absorbs it all. He takes it all perfectly. And he does it for you. He does it for me. For all who would believe, he becomes their payment. And in Revelation, we see God just pouring out wrath. And this wrath, we say, man, this is over the top. This is exactly what Jesus drank. He drank it all. Not a drop left in the cup of God's wrath. He brings peace, righteousness, and peace, kiss. Who can do this, they said in the other chapter? Who can stand? No one. No one can. That's the point. We all need the Savior, and he gives us grace and mercy. He calls us to receive salvation in him. Through his blood, we have new life. We are made new. We are born again. The cup of God's wrath was drank. It was drink, drank, drunk. It was drunk, drunken, drinking. Drink, drink. Somebody help me. It was drank for us. Does that sound right? Amen. Thank you. <laughs> so now is the time of favor. Now is the time of favor. Now. Not, we're not in Revelation. We're not in this moment. We're getting a glimpse of what's to come. Now is the time of favor, church. Now is the time that we say, listen, what, this is what's to come. I've seen a glimpse of what will happen. And you don't want to be there. You don't want to go into this time. I don't know when Jesus will rapture his bride, when he will call us to himself. But when he does, you don't want to be here. You want to be with Jesus. Now is the favorable time. Now we implore you, come, receive this grace, receive this mercy. Church, this should light a fire in us to share Christ with others. It really should. I don't want to see my loved ones moving into this. Neither do you. And we shouldn't want to see anyone having to suffer in this. So now is the time of favor. We are to reach out to to tell others about this grace in Christ Jesus. They're quiet for half an hour in heaven at the beginning of the trumpet. It's not going to be beautiful. It's not going to be great. It's going to be hard. It's going to be the wrath of God poured out on the earth. 
but there's grace. There's still salvation. There's 144,000 witnesses preaching the gospel in this moment. There's still hope. But listen, we can preach the hope of the gospel before they have to get to that point. Oh, I pray that many will wake up and will take the easy time when it's the time of favor and not have to wait to get woken up in this way. But many will be hard. They will not see until God gets a hold of them through very hard circumstances. Verses 2 through 5, we read this. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God. The seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And so we see these angels appear. John sees these angels who are to bring the next set of judgments. And it starts with an offering to God. It starts with 30 minutes of silence and then an offering brought to God. And it's incense and the prayers of the saints. He, he brings forward, this angel brings forward the prayers of of God's people, and God receives it. What a beautiful thing. When you pray, when you pray in the Spirit, when you're praying and offering God sincere prayers, it's an offering that's pleasing to Him. He receives it in the heavenly throne room. It's like incense before Him. Oh, I don't pray much. You're, you're not worshiping as, like you could. <laughs> Here, He's receiving the prayers of the saints. He's getting ready to bring judgment, and yet it starts with this moment. So if we want to have a part in the kingdom work of God, if we want to see God's hand in different circumstances, if we want to develop our worship, then prayer needs to be a key component. Don't push off prayer. Don't let the devil make you believe that prayer is something that you can take or leave. And no, this is something we must be doing. We must be growing in prayer and, and, and engaging in prayer. It's a relational thing. It's talking to our Heavenly Father and listening to our Heavenly Father. It's, it's seeing Him at work and Him speaking to us and moving and, and using these prayers, being glorified in them. We have a part in all of this. Even as you pray today about what is yet to come, those prayers, God will receive them. You have a part in all of this. So before anything else happens, there's that moment of worship. It's pleasant. It's pleasant to the Lord, the prayers of God's people. He receives them. And when they are finished, the angel then takes fire from the altar, puts it in the censer, and he throws it to the earth. Verses 6 and 7, we read this. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. And so we see the first trumpet. It's blown by this angel, and there's hail and fire and blood. Now, I don't know if that trumpet comes right on the heel of the censer hitting the ground. To me, it, 
it kind of seems like they go hand in hand, that this angel throws down this sensor to the earth, and it, it could be something like an asteroid striking the earth or even a great volcanic disturbance or something. There's, there's thunder, there's lightning, there's peals, and, and, and then the trumpet blows, and there's hail and fire and blood. And a third of the trees and the grass all burned up. Think about what that does just to the grazing community of farmers. You know, they have all their different animals and those animals that need this, uh, and, and it's gone. It changes the dynamics of the world very quickly. A third of all of this is gone, of trees and the grass. Verses 8 and 9, the second angel comes up and says, the second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So here, this very clearly looks, he says it looks like a mountain on fire. This, to me, looks like a a meteor striking the oceans, and you have a third of the sea creatures, they're dead. Imagine living near the coast after a third of the ocean is dead and it's floating and it's blood and it's stench and just gone. And a third of the ships that are out on the sea at that moment are also destroyed. So this strikes the earth and we see another third. Verses 10 and 11, it says, And a third of the waters became wormwood. And many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. And so we see this next, that's not all of it. The third angel blew his trumpet, a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of water, and the name of the star is Wormwood. And then you get to the other part of it. And they became like Wormwood. So this third trumpet blows It says a star falls from heaven, and there's this great fire that hits a third of the rivers, and the rivers become bitter, undrinkable. And those people around those rivers, they they perish. They become sick. Your Berkey isn't going to help you. I'm sorry. (laughs) The the angel has struck a third of the fresh water. And so there's many who, who die because of that. Verse 12, it says, And the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. And so you see this angel, he blows his trumpet, and now the sun is darkened, and the moon, of course, that reflects the sun, it's darkened, and the, and the stars are gone out. A third of the lights of the heavens are darkened, affecting the heat of the earth, affecting how things are going to live and grow, and, and just, I mean, bad enough, you know, we have a third of the trees and grass gone, and a third of the ocean is disrupted, and, and a third of those sea creatures dead, and the blood everywhere, and just that carnage that's there in the ocean and and now we have it with the the waters and and people 
becoming sick and dying near these waters that are afflicted. And now he strikes the sun and it affects the whole earth. A third of the lights are darkened. And you think, man, this can't get any worse. Well, then we get a message in verse 13. Verse 13 says this, Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So now there's a warning that you thought this was bad, it's going to get worse. I mean, the, the heat just keeps getting cranked up on the earth. And God is trying to get people's attention. He's calling them back to himself. Like they know that what is happening is, is of the Lord. We saw that in a previous chapter. Here they're seeing these amazing things happen. And now this eagle flying and crying with a loud voice. And there's all kinds of speculation as to how all these trumpets look. That's why I'm not spending a lot of time saying, well, it could be this, or it could be this, or it could be this. I mean, we would be here for a long time, and it's just a Debbie Downer, isn't it? Like it's, a, it's like, yeah, it's great that we thought through all the things it could be, but we just spent two weeks thinking about the destruction of those who don't know God and the destruction of the earth because of the wrath of God being poured out. Like, the overarching view here is that God is pouring out his wrath and he's getting people's attention. He's saying, hey, look up. Your salvation is near. If you would just repent and turn. And the eagle flies over and he says, guys, it's going to be worse. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Three more trumpets are yet to be blown. I think the eagle, we've seen him. I actually think he's one of the living creatures that we see in, in Revelation uh, chapter 4. There are four living creatures around the throne, and one of them, it says, looks like an eagle in flight. And I think God sends this one down, and he proclaims over the earth, there's three more judgments that are yet to come. How are you guys doing? We get to chapter 9, and it says this in verse 1. It says, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. So another star falls from heaven. Now, this isn't an actual star. This seems to be more of referring to more like an angel, like it did in the very first chapter where he's talking about the stars of he who holds all the stars in his right hand. So there's one that falls. Now, is he a good angel or a bad angel? I, I mean, we could speculate. Some would say he's, he's good and he's coming to do the will of God like the other angels that blow the trumpet. Others say, no, he's actually a bad angel, but he's been given the key and he has a job to do and he's a fallen angel. He's fallen from heaven to the earth. We don't know. But we know that there is one who comes down, who has a key given to him to open the bottomless pit. And this angel is to go and, and just do this work of opening the bottomless pit. Now, the bottomless pit is a prison for certain fallen angels. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 31. It says, And they begged him, these are demons speaking to Jesus, they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. They don't want to go to what is kind of like a jail. They don't want to go into darkness and be bound there. Like other angels have been bound in darkness for this moment, for this time, for this day. God didn't release them. 
Satan has many demons that are loose on the earth, but some have never been loosed on the earth until this moment. So they don't want to go there. They're like, hey, you're not going to send us away into this abyss. 2 Peter 2.4 says this, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, that's when they fell, that's the idea that star falling, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Here again, he's, he's put them in this, this place where they cannot do anything. They're just held in, in this chains of darkness. And here it says he's cast them into hell, this idea of the bottomless pit and hell in, in many uh, ways are synonymous. We see that at times in Scripture with Sheol and the bottomless pit. And then in Jude Verse 6 says, And the angels who did not stay with their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. He said, they're there, but they're there for a time and for a reason. So this one comes down and opens the pit. He opens the pit and lets loose an angel who has never been loosed before. In verses 2 through 10, we hear what happens when this pit is opened. It says, He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. So some think the bottomless pit really is more towards the center of the earth. If you're in the middle of the earth, well, everything is up. There's nothing down. You're in the, it's bottomless. <laughs> so some think it's like a giant furnace where the, he opens it up, he opens up the earth, and you have this great furnace, the, the, the heat and the smoke and the plume coming up out. And it says, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke. So it's like thinking of like a, a giant volcanic eruption. And this, this great smoke comes up. And then the smoke came locusts on the earth. And they were given power, like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and, it will, not find, and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads uh, were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. And they have tails and stings like scorpions. And their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. So these locusts come up out of the pit. It's open. And you see these creatures come up. Now, are they real locusts? Or is this figurative? He's trying to explain. He says, they're like this. They're like this. They're like this. So John's seen something, and he's trying to explain it to us. And he's, he's not really sure what he's seeing. I mean, I read it, and I think about drones today. I think, wow, wow, I could be like a drone. Like, you know, they float around. And you put a little weapon on the back of that thing, and yeah, it could sting you. 
Uh, I don't know, but I mean, we could speculate, what is it? Is, are these real demonic demon locusts coming up? Is this something where God is using technology and it's demonically given power and driven by this angel? It's hard to, hard to really say, but we do see that they are told not to harm the trees or the, or the grass or anything like that. So they're, they're, they're purpose is not like regular locusts. They don't come to eat and devour, but they do come to harm. And they do it for five months. Five months. Five months of this happening around them. And people are inflicted with pain and with terror, and it's so awful that they they want to die, but death will elude them. They'll be afflicted, but they, they won't die from these stings, and they won't die from this torture. Now, as I've studied through this, it's worth noting that, that some see these things as purely symbolic and, in fact, say that this is happening right now. They say, well, it's symbolic. This is happening at this moment. The star is the apostate church, and the locusts are the schemes and torment of unbelievers, and the master is, uh, that we'll see in the next verse is Satan. Now, while all of that is plausible, okay, like I can see where you get it in some of those places. While I say, while that's plausible in some regards, I don't think that's the best fit. I think really we're looking at something that is coming in the future, that this is prophetic, because it says in verse 4, they can only torment those without the seal of God. So we know that's the 144,000 and maybe others that God seals as they come to faith, but they can't touch the church. So if this is happening now... Well, we have a problem because Christians suffer now and are tormented now and, and struggle with sin and temptation and like this idea that they won't be touched by the enemy. They can't be touched. It, it doesn't fit. And then there's the duration. It, it's only for five months. This happens for five months. Well, we know that some people are afflicted for a lifetime, tormented for a long time. Here, I think what it's saying is this is really going to happen, that there be something that fits this description. And for five months, this, this angel will be tormenting the earth. Verse 11, we get to find out who this angel is. It says, and they have a king over them. So there's an angel with authority over this group of locusts. And, and his name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek called Apollyon. Now, he is one who is known for destruction. That's his name. His name means destruction or destroyer. It appears that he's one of the fallen angels that's been kept in darkness, so I don't believe that it's Satan. Uh, So he's one that has been put in chains. He's probably one with rank, had rank in the heavens, and when he fell, God put him into this position of, of being held here in chains it's also interesting to note that while his name means destroyer, God and his mercy will not allow him to do what his name signifies. He can only torment and harass. He can't destroy. He can't destroy anyone. He's not allowed to. So the whole scene, as I think about it, is reminiscent of the Exodus and the plagues where, where there's judgment being poured out on the earth and God protects his people. It also is reminiscent in some ways of Job. 
where the one who comes to destroy is held in check by God. Remember, Satan came and wanted to test Job, and God held Satan in check. So here, this angel's held in check, and God is bringing this judgment and, and allowing this angel to do this thing on the earth. The point, again, is to wake people up, to get their attention, to gather in true Israel. Verses 12 and 13 it says this, the first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God. And so we have the next trumpet uh, blown. And, and here we're told that uh, if you thought these others were bad, the past five months, you're like, oh, we got done with the five months. Okay, can't get worse than that. No, there's two more to come. Two more trumpets. We're told that a voice from the altar tells the angel of the sixth trumpet to do something. And it goes on and says, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for, look at this, prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. God has put them there, and he's using them in the end here to bring about his will of judgment on the earth, and they are released. This angel releases these four angels. Verses 14 and 15, it says that they are released from the great river Euphrates, now, Euphrates is a significant place. It's, it's a boundary in the garden. It's a boundary of ancient Babylon. It was a boundary of Israel's territory. It was a boundary of ancient Roman Empire. And it's the place where these four angels have been held. And now they are to be released at a specific hour, day, month, and year. Their job is to amass and control an army whose mission, this army's mission, will be the killing of a third of the earth's population. Let's look at the next handful of verses, 16 through 19. It says, The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. And I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates of the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur and the heads of the horses were like lion's heads and the fire and the smoke and the sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. By the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths for the power uh, of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails for their tails are like, like serpents with heads and by means of them they wound. And so we have this army, and John again is saying, they're like this, they're like this, they're like this. There's a 200 million man army that amasses. Now, some believe that this is possible today through China, but I, okay, let's think about it. With all of the destruction and all the stuff that God's brought on, it's not just going to be one country. Yes, China today could amass an army like this, but I think what we're going to see is a coalition brought together in the region of all of these people brought together. And I think John is seeing weapons of warfare here, and he's trying to describe it. He's like, it's like this, it's like this, it's like this. And so we're, we see this great imagery, but it's being controlled by these angels, this demonic force behind it, and they will wipe out a third of the earth's population. 
So you would think at the end of all of this, people are going to run back to God and say, God, save me. God, we're sorry. We repent. We come back. Verses 20 and 21, this is what we see. The rest of mankind who are not killed by these plagues, think about the plagues for a minute, <laughs> striking the earth and, and killing the, that of the sea and striking the fresh water and bringing these locusts and bringing this, this war of destruction, all of those not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. What? (laughs) Like, you sit there and you think, how could they not? And then I think, because that's what sin nature does. That's what sin nature does. Some of these are just turning towards the Antichrist and what he will do and show them and they're thinking there's safety and hope there. I'm going to put my trust there and not turn to God. Others probably are just belligerent. (laughs) Think of my children. You always have one. If you have lots of kids, I have five. There's always one that it doesn't matter what the punishment is, like they're they're just going to dig their heels in. You know, it's just like, and you're like, if I spank my child anymore, like, I'm going to get arrested. Like, <laughs> and, you know, he's just like, you can bring the worst on. It doesn't matter. Like, I'm, you know, there's going to be people like that. God is going to bring judgment. They're going to be like, God, you can do your worst. I'm still here. You know, they're going to be like tying themselves to the mast. You know, they're, they're going to be doing that whole uh, Forrest Gump thing. Where, you know, Pro- Lieutenant Dan's up there in the ship. And he's like, come on, bring it on. Like, you know. We're going to have people like that. God's bringing judgment, and they're just like, you you can do worse. Come on. They're not going to repent. They don't repent from their evil activity. They don't turn from idolatry and false worship. They don't stop murdering for selfish gain. They they continue in occultic practices. They, 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 They don't repent from perverted sexual immorality. They continue in their thefts. I mean, here, we see this in our world today. Like, I feel like I just read the headlines of Fox News to you. Like, I mean, like, we see this happening in the world around us today, this type of heart, and it does not change, and man does not turn. Some will. So what does this mean for us as we wrap up? For us, here's the takeaway. Today, today is the day of favor. Today is the day of favor. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. Working together with Christ, working together with God, we appeal to you to receive the grace of God, to not receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Our takeaway is that we go and we rescue people from the judgment to come. We, we, we snatch them from the fire. We do all that we can to, to have them to be caught up in the air with the Lord when he comes, when he blows the trumpet. We, we work while it is day. God is not slow in keeping his promises. Peter tells us that. His will is that all would come to repentance 
And when the end time comes, when we get to this, these seven years, like a thief, it will happen rapidly. You know what the world's going to say? Man, that's happened too fast. Like, God didn't give us a chance to repent or anything. I can't believe it. Like, Lord came really fast. That's how it's going to feel. And for us, others, we're like, when are you coming, Lord? When are you coming? It's going to happen. And when it begins, it will seem so rapid and so fast. That seven years will be a blink. But he has given us today, church. He's given us today. He's given you today, he's given me today to share Christ with someone. Today is the day of favor. So I implore you, as we go through this, set it in your heart that you're going to share Christ with someone who needs it and that you will share the grace and mercy of God because you've seen the end. You know what the wrath of God looks like. And this is what Jesus saves us from, the wrath of God of God poured out on sin and makes us new. Pray with me. Father, we thank you a lot for this. It's a wake-up call to the church. It wakes us up. It makes us see the seriousness of sin and, and why people need you, Lord Jesus. And so we, we ask that you would just move in our hearts. God, that we, the church, that we would set our face like flint towards the Savior and we would say, Lord, send me, just as as Jody has said, Lord, here am I, send me. That The rest of us would say, send me, Lord. Use us. And may many, many come to know Christ. And so, God, we, we close just in awe of who you are. And we just praise you for your goodness and your kindness. And in the midst of judgment, you still bring mercy and you still bring the gospel. And in this time of favor, you're sending us. So may we labor with you in the harvest field and see many souls come to glory. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.